The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell, Christ our living head will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe and trust in Him. I will trust in my Redeemer, sing of His love that lasts forever know His hope and sure salvation I will trust in Him Oh, the world falls around me I rest and know that He has found me Christ, the rock, is my Welcome all to Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album, Order of Service. By way of introduction, Pastor is an acrostic which stands for Preaching All Salvation Through One Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Jesus. The English transliteration for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by Scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome to Pastor Yeshua. As stated in an earlier episode discussing types and shadows, when we study all of Scripture, we tend to see that indeed God seems to create all things according to a pattern which testifies of Him. As we continue to look and study the visible and invisible things of creation, we are able to increasingly see God's reflection to some degree in that mirror. When these examples occur within Scripture, we characteristically refer to them as types or shadows. We shall also see that ultimately, as with all Scripture, that these types and shadows point to the substance, which is Jesus. In this episode, we continue our study of types and shadows with the story of Jacob and Esau. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as this study goes forward, that you would soften and open our hearts to receive your revelation to us. I pray that where necessary, your word would bring reconciliation to you by your grace. 
Further, I pray that having reconciliation, we each would grow through our relationship with you by the gift of your own indwelling Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. In order to set the stage for the story of Jacob and Esau, we must go back to Genesis chapter 25, verse 20, where the saga begins. Quote, And Isaac was forty years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Pandanaram, the sister to Laban, the Syrian, unquote. Here, Isaac and Rebekah are married when Isaac is 40 years old. Since, according to verse 26, Isaac was 60 when Jacob and Esau are born, we learn that for 20 years, Isaac and Rebekah are unable to bear children. As a result, Isaac turns to God in order to plead his cause in verse 21. Quote, and Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah his wife conceived." Unquote. Now up to this point, since Rebekah has, by the grace of God, overcome the issue of being barren, all seems to be going well. Rebekah is pregnant. Both Isaac and Rebekah are in good health. Isaac will have a child by which the Lord will fulfill his promise to Abraham. In the overall scheme of things, we are one step closer to God's promised deliverer, the Messiah, Christ, and to reconciliation for those who are God's children by faith. However, before we have time to order a supply of cigars to celebrate the future birth of Isaac's heir, we encounter verse 22, where the trouble begins. Quote, and the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. Unquote. Before we pass on further, the original word, quote-unquote, struggle, would be worth further study. The Hebrew word struggle means to, quote, Break, bruise, crush, discourage, oppress, struggle together. Unquote. In commenting on the text, the Aramaic Targum state, quote, And the children pressed in her womb as men doing battle. Unquote. When Rebekah inquires of the Lord, the Lord responds, giving her the revelation in verse 23, stating, quote, and the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger." Unquote. Verses 24 through 26 continue. Quote, and when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that his brother came out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was thirty score years old when she bare them." Unquote. 
Verses 27 and 28 continue to begin to give details to the family dynamics which many of us are also familiar with. Quote, And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. And Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison. But Rebekah loved Jacob, unquote. Now, given the language above, it is easy to come to a conclusion which may not be accurate. We are told that Esau was a quote-unquote cunning hunter and a quote-unquote man of the field. There are two ways to parse these terms. The first is to say that Esau was a very smart, able, and tactful hunter who was also an apt field hand or farmer. These terms may conjure images of a person who is rugged, self-sufficient, swarthy, lumberjack, man's man. If this is the case, then in many circles Esau would be one to perhaps be admired and emulated. In contrast, we might come away believing that Jacob was plain in the sense that he was dull, boring, and a couch potato who never left his tent, unlike Esau, who was a virile, exciting outdoorsman. But is this the proper characterization of the two? Again, the Targums give possible additional comments worth considering. Regarding Esau and Jacob, the Targums state, quote, And the lads grew, and Esau was a man of idleness to catch birds and beasts, a man going forth into the field to kill lives, as Nimrod had killed, and Hanak his son. But Jacob was a man, peaceful in his words, a minister of the instruction house of Eber, seeking instruction before the Lord. And Isaac loved Esau, for words of deceit were in his mouth. But Rivka loved Jacob, unquote. Now, if Esau was out at early daybreak, relentlessly tracking, hunting, killing, dressing, and bringing home various animals for his family's food, then saying that Esau was, quote, a man of idleness, unquote, hardly seems to be an accurate or fair analysis. Further, if the purpose of such was the survival and welfare of his family and himself, then the hunting of lives would be necessary and justified. But here, Esau is compared to Nimrod and his son Hanuk. In addition, the tone and verbiage used to describe Esau and his character habits are clearly derogatory in nature. We know from our earlier study in the episode entitled The Tower of Babel that Nimrod was the first wholehearted rebel in defiance against God. We also know that Nimrod was described as, quote, a mighty hunter against the Lord, unquote. Here, Esau's hunting habit is linked to Nimrod and his hunting. The explanation is likely found in the text which follows, saying, quote, But Jacob was a man peaceful in his words, a minister of the instruction house of Eber, seeking instruction before the Lord, unquote. 
Here Jacob is compared to Esau, and it is said that Jacob is, quote, peaceful in his words, unquote. This seems to infer that in contrast, Esau was violent in his words and or actions. Perhaps this is the connection meant between Esau and Nimrod. If Nimrod was a hunter against the Lord in some violently rebellious way, then perhaps Esau demonstrated similar attitudes which hearkened back to the behavior exhibited by Nimrod. Further, Jacob is said to, quote, seek instruction before the Lord, unquote. This would certainly be in opposition to Nimrod and possibly to Esau, who, if they were rebelling against God, would not be likely to be seeking instruction of the Lord. This too may hint at Esau and Nimrod's nature of being hunters and men of the field. Perhaps what is being hinted at is more than being hunters and outdoorsmen. Both were lone wolf, renegade dissenters against God and his word. Maybe, like Nimrod, Esau was refusing instruction of the Lord, and rather than making God and his word a priority, he spent his time ignoring the things of the Lord in favor of spending idle time killing every animal he could to distract himself. As we consider this, we read further in verses 29 through 35 the following, quote, And Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with the same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he sware unto him, and he sold him his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright." Unquote. Now we need to meditate on what is being presented here. Perhaps it is very innocuous and innocent. That is, Esau went out hunting as was his interest, and was fatigued from a rigorous day which, like so many times, happens the hunter catches nothing despite all their efforts, leaving the hunter tired, spent, and hungry. Perhaps Esau is in the midst of having dehydration and a heat emergency requiring a call to 911 and an ambulance. In that case, poor Esau should be getting concern and care. Instead, we have opportunistic, scheming Jacob who takes advantage of Esau's debilitated condition requiring hospitalization. In this serious health crisis, Esau stumbles into Jacob's presence and sees red lentils cooking. Esau requests medical help in the form of sustenance, and Jacob seizes upon the moment, taking advantage and stealing Esau's birthright in exchange for a meal to save Esau's life. Either that, or Esau was tired and hungry from the hunt, 
perhaps smelled Jacob's meal, started drooling, and let his desire to satiate himself with the food at hand rule the moment. At least this is the way it is so often presented. Esau was the firstborn and was handicapped by his love of hunting and the outdoors. Then, according to some, we have Jacob, who was a mama's boy, a wimp, who had to stoop to trickery to steal what belonged to his brother. In the typical Sunday school version, we are not quite sure who to cheer for, except we know since God gave Rebekah the dream where the elder, i.e. Esau, would serve the younger, i.e. Jacob, we kind of feel obliged to hold our nose and root for Jacob since that is God's plan. As we continue, we see Esau selling his birthright to Jacob, whereupon Jacob gives Esau bread and the red pottage of lentils. Because of Esau's great hunger and desire for red lentils, Esau thereby earns his nickname of Edom, which means red. At any rate, Esau, having come in from the hunt near death, makes the agreement with Jacob for his birthright and devours the bread and lentils. Having done so, we read Esau, quote, did eat, drink, rose up, and went his way. Thus, Esau despised his birthright, unquote. There are several things which deserve further study regarding this verse. One, just exactly what was Esau's birthright? The answer begins in Genesis 17, where God makes a covenant with Abraham. Quote, I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner I will give as an everlasting possession to you and to your descendants after you, and I will be their God." This covenant is repeated and ratified by God many times with Abraham and is eventually handed down from Abraham to Isaac in the form of a birthright. In other words, it was Isaac's right by being the designated son of faith through Abraham that would inherit the promise and covenant blessing given by God above. If you recall, Ishmael was actually Abraham's firstborn, but because Ishmael was a product of Abraham and Sarah's attempt to fulfill God's promise through the flesh, God excluded Ishmael from inheriting the covenant promised and instead extended that right to Isaac. Isaac then would expect to bequeath the covenant he had inherited to his firstborn son, who in this case was Esau. 2. With this reminder in hand, we must ask, Why would Esau value this covenant promise so little as to be said to, quote, despise it, unquote, while Jacob valued it so much that he was willing to deceive his father, Isaac, 
to obtain it. While we have uncovered some clues, there are still many yet to come. For example, Scripture tells us that Esau went hunting and returned, quote-unquote, faint. As was stated before, we make the general assumption that Esau simply overextended himself in the process and was tired. But as we look at the Targum commentary, we find some possible clues. First of all, we learn from the Targums that the reason that Jacob was cooking lentils was because his grandfather Abraham had died and that Isaac was grieving. Consequently, Jacob cooked lentils in order to comfort his father Isaac. We already know that Isaac loved Esau, at least in part because on in verse 28, we are told that Isaac ate of Esau's venison. Later, Jacob cooks lentils, possibly for his father's comfort, and Esau is so overcome with the lentils that he sells his birthright. So possibly Isaac was one along with Esau who shared the shortcoming of having a weakness for good food. In any case, if what the Targums state is true, even though neither the Bible nor the Targums pointed out, what we have is Esau deciding to go out and have fun hunting, rather than staying home and grieving with his father over Abraham, and perhaps showing some emotional solidarity, or at least having some common decency. But if that isn't bad enough, the Targums add insult to injury, giving us details on what Esau was doing, quote-unquote, hunting, which caused him such, quote-unquote, fatigue. Quote, And Esau came from the wilderness exhausted, for in that day he had committed five transgressions. He had worshipped with strange worship. He had shed innocent blood. He had gone in unto a betrothed damsel. He had denied the life of the world to come and had despised the birthright, unquote. So Esau's mindset and heart is further revealed and confirmed according to the Targums as Esau and Jacob meet and Esau desires the lentils which Jacob has prepared. Quote, and Esau said, Behold, I am going to die, and in another world I shall have no life. And what then to me is the birthright, or the portion in the world of which thou speakest? Unquote. Thus, according to all that we have learned so far, Esau is painted as a very worldly, carnal, fleshly person. If you will recall in the episode entitled, The Offering of Cain and Abel, and the Tower of Babel, Esau, like Cain, like Nimrod, and others, disdained, disbelieved, and discounted any sense of faith, reverence, fear, and belief in God, heaven, or those things which God would reward those who trust in him. Instead, Cain, Nimrod, and Esau seemed to share the values of this world in their time. Their priorities were the here and now, those things that I can see, hear, touch, and taste. If I can't put it in my pocket or swallow it and put it in my stomach, then it has no value. 
It probably doesn't exist, and thus it can be ignored. Look again at the verse which says, quote, Behold, I am going to die, and in another world I shall have no life. And what then to me is the birthright or the portion in the world of which thou speakest? Unquote. Although these words are attributed to Esau, the statement gives contrast to Esau's attitude. If you will notice, Esau clearly reveals that Jacob is speaking about another world, i.e. heaven, in which Jacob believed that there would be life. If Jacob is speaking about it, then it would tend to suggest that Jacob had faith in what he was speaking about. Not only did Jacob have faith, Jacob had enough faith that he was indeed moved to speak about that faith. Perhaps because Jacob is speaking about his faith, we might even take a step further to imagine that Jacob was in fact testifying to Esau regarding Esau's apparent disdain for his birthright and what it represented. In that context, Esau admits that he believes he is dying. Maybe we miss Esau's perception of what he meant by his belief that he was dying. Maybe what is in view here is not simply some euphemistic exaggeration by Esau that he is dying when he really means he is exhausted. Maybe what Esau is saying is, quote, who cares about a birthright? I'm going to die anyway, and it will do nothing for me now, unquote. Since he is dying, he might as well sell his birthright, since that birthright is given and guaranteed by a person, i.e. God, who doesn't really exist. Since there is no God, then it follows that there is no afterlife, no world to come, and no resurrection from the dead. Anything that I might get out of this birthright won't be mine for years to come. The only thing that matters is that I am really hungry and I will eventually die anyway with no afterlife. As a logical consequence, if Esau presented himself in his daily habits and attitude as one who disdained, disregarded, and disbelieved God, God's promises, the afterlife, the birthright, and all that it represented, then what would be more logical than Jacob, who did believe, to take this opportunity where Esau makes it clear that he does not care about his birthright, for Jacob to offer to buy it? Perhaps this casts Jacob in a slightly better light. After all, if I possess something legally that I really don't care about and show disdain for it every day, and you see that item and regard it as something which is very precious to you, then it would not be out of the question for me to say, Hey, I noticed that you seem to really love this item. Since I don't have any use for it, I would like for you to have it. It would be my pleasure to let you have it as a gift. There would likewise be many who would find no fault in people accepting the gift and simply saying, thank you. Alternately, there would be some who, because of their own conscience, might say, perhaps like Jacob, 
I can't accept such a gift for nothing. It obviously has great value. Let me pay you for it. In this case, Jacob could be said to have given the lentils and bread to Esau in exchange for something which for all intent purposes Esau was throwing away anyway. Sadly, it seems all too apparent that this is precisely the conclusion that Esau had come to. Esau had no regard or love for his birthright or for God. Esau did not believe in the life to come, heaven, or eternity. Esau lived for the moment and gave little or no thought to anything beyond. Look once again at the sentence in verse 34. Quote, then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Unquote. It may sound at first glance like Esau ate, and then at some point he got up and left. Thus, this is nothing more than a chronological series of events. Then again, I am reminded of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 32, which reads, quote, If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantageth it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die, unquote. Here, Paul is making the very argument already under discussion, namely, if the dead do not rise again as promised by God in his word, then there is absolutely no point in giving any thought today for what is promised tomorrow. If there is no tomorrow, then the only thing of value is the moment, here and now. As a result, if true, we should live only for the moment, eat, drink, be merry, because we, like Esau, are going to die, and there will be no tomorrow other than to repeat the process of enjoying the present. In the end, what we have learned is that Esau is the quintessential type and example of the unregenerate natural man. Esau lives and loves for the things of this world. His only thought is for the here and now. Esau has heard of the things promised regarding God, eternity, heaven, the resurrection from the dead, faith in God's promises many times. But despite having heard them, Esau prefers to live according to his own appetites. Esau does what seems good in his own eyes while rejecting and disdaining what God desires or is according to God's will. In the midst of this, we have Jacob, who is the type of those called by God to overcome and be separated from the world. Jacob is not perfect by any stretch, but God has drawn Jacob's heart to hear him. Jacob has received the desire and yearning to cherish and obtain God's promises. Jacob, by God's grace, will in time wrestle with God and will obtain a new name given by God where he will become God's vessel to accomplish God's purpose and thereby take hold of the blessing promised. As we survey the two brothers, 
it behooves us well to search our own hearts and earnestly ask which brother, Esau or Jacob, best represents the status of our spirits. This concludes this episode. Please join me again for part two. Now, if you have any questions about God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, I encourage you to send me an email at pastor underscore Yeshua at yahoo.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R underscore Y-E-S-H-U-A at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. Trust in